0: Hi, this is Christian Kuhn of Urban Village Church. Welcome back to my sermon podcast. I apologize. It's been, I thought I would be posting uh, a sermon last week, but instead I did kind of a dialogue conversation with uh, Hal Lewis from the Spurtis Institute for Jewish Studies. And so you can find that conversation online at the Urban Village pot uh, bean page. Um, but I am back this week with uh, more um, Traditional podcast, sermon podcast, I guess. So this week, we are ending our sermon series called Committed to the City, and the passage that we'll be reflecting on comes from Jeremiah 31, and this is uh, verses 2 through 4 and 8 through 13. So listen to these words. Thus says the Lord, the people who survived the sword found grace in the wilderness. When Israel sought for rest, the Lord appeared to him from far away. I have loved you with an everlasting love. Therefore, I have continued my faithfulness to you. Again, I will build you and you shall be built. See, I am going to bring them from the land of the north and gather them from the farthest parts of the earth. Among them, the blind and the lame, those with child and those in labor together. A great company, they shall return here. With weeping, they shall come and with consolations, I will lead them back. I will let them walk by brooks of water in a straight path in which they shall not stumble, for I have become a father to Israel, and Ephraim is my firstborn. Hear the word of the Lord, O nations, and declare it in the coastlands far away. Say, He who scattered Israel will gather him, and he will keep him as a shepherd a flock. For the Lord has ransomed Jacob, and has redeemed him from hands too strong for him. They shall come and sing aloud on the height of Zion. And they shall be radiant over the goodness of the Lord, over the grain, the wine, and the oil, and over the young of the flock and the herd. Their life shall become like a watered garden, and they shall never languish again. Then the young women rejoice in the dance, and the young men and the old shall be merry. I will turn their mourning into joy. I will comfort them and give them gladness for sorrow. May God's blessing be on the hearing and living out of this word. So a couple of weeks ago, uh, my family made our annual August trip back to my home state of Iowa. uh, And part of that annual trip back means a trip to the Iowa State Fair, which we did, of course. But this year we also did something different We went back to look at and visit the town I lived in when I was a boy from about the ages of four to 11. It's a small town in kind of north central Iowa called Eldora, population at the time probably about the same, about 3,500 people or so. I have no idea how long it's been since I've been back to Eldora, but certainly it's been at least 20 years, uh, if not longer. And so I don't know if you've ever had that feeling of going to a place that was your home for a time. Uh, and in your mind, certainly if you were a child, you have certain memories and certain images of what uh, certain things were like. And so we went back and we drove by the homes, the two homes that I lived in uh, as a child. We went, drove by and walked up to the baseball field where I spent many hours and right across the baseball field was the swimming pool uh, that I spent a lot of time as a child. It's all been redone now. Uh, and we went out to, there's a lake, a state park there in Eldor, and we walked around that. And we also drove by uh, the school, one of the schools at the time. This was where the high school was. And now since I live there, it's uh, moved and they built a new facility. And so the gym, old gym in high school uh, where where it was, and I lived there, is now boarded up. And from what I read, it will be demolished uh, soon. And so all kinds of feelings came flooding back. On the one hand, just such strong feelings of, of home came through me, and memory, and a sense of, like, I've been here, and I have good memories here. But also, certainly there were feelings of, it looks so unfamiliar. Uh, it It's not what I thought it was in my own memory, and when I saw the boarded-up gym and reading about its potential demolition, mixed feelings, Uh, and certainly that um, time-honored quote that you can't go home again came to my mind, and wondering that. Is it true? Can you go back and relive those memories? Can you go back and feel those same feelings? In some ways, yes, and of course, in some ways, no. Got me thinking a lot about what does home mean? What words, if you reflected on the sense or word home, what words would you use to describe home? There have been lots of songs written about home, no matter what kind of artists or kinds of music that you prefer. If you're a folk a fan, Homeward Bound by Simon and Garfunkel, a more recent song, Philip Phillips sang the word home, a Motley Crew in the 80s from the, hair, if you like hair bands, Home Sweet Home. Uh, Drake, uh, also in recent years, sang a song called Hold On, We're Going Home. So lots of people reflect, sing, talk, think about it, but no matter how you define it or sing about it, home maybe is really just a feeling. It's hard to put into words just what home is. I bring all this up, this conversation about home, because in our scripture passage today, Jeremiah talks about a homecoming of sorts, and I want to connect what Jeremiah says to our sermon series about commitment to the city, and what does it mean to have the city be your home, and what does it mean to make the city home for others? But before I talk about specifically what Jeremiah writes and says in this passage, it's important to give a little bit of context of what's going on. So you may have heard of King David from the Old Testament, uh, and his son, King Solomon, you may have also heard about King Solomon. King Solomon died roughly in the years around 922, 923 BC. And his son, Rehoboam, took over. And after his son took over, a large part of the nation of Israel refused to obey his son. And that set into motion the split of the nation of Israel. So it became two different kingdoms. The northern kingdom was called Israel. The southern kingdom was called Judah. The northern kingdom, Israel, its capital was Samaria, and Israel was taken over by a nation called the Assyrians around 722. About 130 or so years later, the Babylonians conquered Judah in its capital, Jerusalem. And in the process of the Babylonian takeover of Judah, they also forcibly removed many Jews, many Israelites, many Judites from their homes to go into Babylonia. Jeremiah was a prophet speaking to the nation of Judah, and scholars believe that much of what he said and what was written happened before, during, and after the Babylonian uh, takeover. Jeremiah often was speaking judgment against his own religious leaders, asking them, pleading with them, prophesying to reform, to depend solely on God. But Jeremiah did not only speak words of judgment, he also had visions of a homecoming of sort. And this is what we see here today. Verse 8, let me read that again. With weeping they shall come, and with consolations I will lead them back. I will let them walk by brooks of water in a straight path in which they shall not stumble. And so we see here that Jeremiah has a vision that those in exile, those who are forced to go to Babylonia, one day will come back to their homes. But Jeremiah does not only talk to those in exile, does not only talk about homecoming in this way, he also speaks to those in exile and gives some really interesting instructions a little bit earlier in chapter 29. Again, he is speaking to those who have been displaced and who understandably probably want to return to the place they know, the place they love, home. But in chapter 29, Jeremiah has a different message. In chapter 29, verses 4 through 7, Jeremiah says this, Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, to all the exiles whom I have sent into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon, build houses and live in them, plant gardens and eat what they produce. Take wives and have sons and daughters. Take wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage. Multiply there and do not decrease. But seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile and pray to the Lord on its behalf. What remarkable instructions Jeremiah has for these individuals. And in some ways, it doesn't make much sense. These are people who have been forced from their homes And Jeremiah tells them that, yes, one day you will return home. But while you are in exile, create a home yourselves in a place that feels strange. Even though you've been displaced, Jeremiah says, you can make home where you are. When he tells them, build houses, live in them. He's talking about multiple generations here. But not only that. Jeremiah's instructions are not only to build a home where you are, but also create home space for others. So again, Jeremiah says, build houses, live in them, plant gardens, eat what they produce. And then Jeremiah says, seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you. It's a remarkable set of instructions here that Jeremiah, no doubt for the people who heard uh, these words, it had to be difficult. I mean, it's one thing to try to figure out and sense, yes, okay, we will try to make the best of of where we are and, and, and build a home here. But then also, Jeremiah is saying, seek the welfare of this city where you are. Pray for it. Pray for the welfare of this location where you are. I was reading this week an article about a woman named Francisca Lino. Uh, She is an undocumented immigrant who this week took sanctuary uh, at a United Methodist church here in Chicago in the Humboldt Park neighborhood. And the focus of this article, understandably, was about her own journey from Mexico to the United States, uh, her having a family here, uh, her doing what uh, undocumented immigrants are supposed to do, check in with immigration and customs enforcement officials. Until she was told that she would have to self deport. And so she held a press conference this week and said she was seeking sanctuary at this particular church. What was remarkable not only was <clears throat> her story, but that there was another woman there at the press conference, another woman named Elvira Ariano, who sought sanctuary in that same church 10 years ago, a little more than 10 years ago, in 2006. Elvira had come also from Mexico to the United States, but was deported in 2007 after taking asylum, taking sanctuary in this church. She came back to the United States because she sought asylum in 2014, and today she lives in Chicago today. Still, uh, there is not word about what her permanent status, uh, how it will turn out to be. But what was interesting is that uh, as... Francisco was there talking about her desire to seek sanctuary and, and to be here. Elvira was there with her after having gone through her own difficult, challenging journey. She was there and said simply at that press conference that she has Francisco's back. Elvira is here trying to make ends meet, preparing meals at a Puerto Rican restaurant and also delivering the Chicago Tribune early in the mornings. In a sense, she's trying to make Chicago her own home, but she is also helping to offer sanctuary and home to Francisca, doing perhaps these things that God was calling the Israelites to do, too. For many of us, in my own context, in Chicago, many, some come to Chicago and see it as a, as a stopping point. It was always it was somewhat surprising to me when I first moved into the city itself and just how many young adults come to Chicago and they're here for two, three, four years, and then they're going to go somewhere else. That's a stopping point. Others have decided Chicago's home. The city is my home. And this is kind of what we talked a, lot, a little bit about in our sermon series about what does it mean to build and create and <clears throat> plant roots here in the city and in your own neighborhood. So regardless of whether Chicago is home for you for only a year, or whether it will be your home for many years, or no matter where you are as you're listening to this, you may be in a place where I'm here temporarily, or I'm here for the long term, not only are we called to build homes, to plant gardens where we are, but if we follow Jeremiah's call to the Israelites, and I think it's a call for us today that we are called to create home for others, to create a home space where Jeremiah notes uh, in the passage that we read today from 31, Jeremiah 31, a home space where the young women rejoice in the dance and the young women and the old shall be merry. God says, I will turn their mourning into joy. I will comfort them and give them gladness for sorrow. Can we create our own home here and now? And can we also turn and create that home, that space, where there can be mourning, from morning to joy, where there can be dancing, where there can be merriment, where there can be comfort, where there can be gladness. Can we create that space for them too? As Elvira did, as we can do, and where I saw it in another way a couple of weeks ago. I mentioned earlier that <clears throat> I had gone to Iowa. My wife and daughter had to come home early, and so my son and I decided to ride the Megabus from Des Moines back to Chicago. And as my son and I got onto the Megabus and we were waiting for it to to leave, there was an elderly woman who came on the bus. She had to be at least in her mid-80s and was struggling as she got on the bus Uh, and uh, these two individuals who were with her, I assumed that they were her caretakers and would be riding the bus with her, but they kissed the woman goodbye and then got off the bus, and I thought, wow, she's here on her own, and she was sitting right across the aisle from me, so I kind of thought I should probably keep an eye on her on our six-hour bus ride home. And I struck up little conversations with her as we made a couple stops along the way. And at one point, she got out a bag and started to make her own dinner. Uh, And a couple of the peaches fell out of her bag, so I helped her retrieve those peaches. She commented how walking is painful for her. She said when she got on the bus, it was hard for her, and she's almost in tears because of the pain in her in her back and in her legs. We finally arrived in Chicago. We arrived on time. Uh, And I could tell that she's going to need help to get off the bus. So I waited until everybody got off the bus and asked her if I could help in any way. And she said, well, if you could carry my bag, that would be great. So I carried her bag off the bus. And if you've ever gotten off the the mega bus uh, stop, it's somewhat near Union Station. It's on Polk Street. It's a little bit chaotic because the bus was pretty full. And so people are getting out. People are waiting to get their suitcases off the bus. There are lots of people who are there in cars waiting for their friends and family. And it's a, a little bit uh, kind of a, a mess. And so all of these things are happening and it's dark outside. It's about nine o'clock at night. And, they're, uh, and this woman gets off the bus and she just collapses. She kind of leans back against the bus and she closes her eyes. And you can tell she's just in pain. And so the bus driver sees this, and she comes over, and I'm there too, figuring out. And I said, where where do you live? And uh, she says, I I live in Chicago. I called ahead to Uber, but I miscalculated the time, and the Uber driver had already left. And so the bus driver and I were figuring out, what do we do now? And so the bus driver helped this woman. And I I so appreciated the bus driver for doing this because people are beginning to— not yell at her, but at least like saying, Hey, let's go. I need to get my luggage. But this bus driver was trying to create space for this woman to to help this woman. So I spied a, a cab about a block away. So I ran uh east on Polk Street and the cab was there and I said, Can you can you wait? Please, can you wait? And the and the cab driver said yes. Yeah. So I ran back and the bus driver by this point was helping the woman, the woman was on her arm. And this woman also, in addition to her bag, had this enormous suitcase. I'm not exaggerating, but I said it had to be at least as tall as this woman. So I was rolling the suitcase and then I saw the cab driver was sitting there, but others were going up to him and asking him if if they could get a ride. And I thought, oh no, this cab driver, this is how he makes his living. And He He could have just said, yeah, get in, let's go, but he didn't. He trusted me when I said, I will be right there, and he waited for us. And so we finally made it. The bus driver was escorting the woman. People are back at the bus, kind of clamoring for her to help get the luggage out. This cab driver was waiting, not wholly sure whether anyone was going to come back, and I was there helping to getting her suitcase into the cab. And as I did so, then I was going to run back to my wife, who was waiting for me, uh, and the woman grabbed my arm and just said simply, thank your wife for waiting. And I went back and I thought, and I've reflected, I wrote about that on my blog this week, and I reflected on that moment, how some of us were there to create home for her, this stranger that we didn't know, this elderly woman. But the bus driver went out of her way to make sure that this woman had a home space, even though others were clamoring for her to do her job. The cab driver was there, too, waiting, creating this home space for this woman, too, when he could have easily just taken another fare and driven off. And these two individuals created a home for her. And this was the day after, or actually it was the day of the... President's second press conference about Charlottesville. And I was on Twitter and just getting so angry about that. And and that helped as I looked around and was giving thanks to the bus driver and the cab driver for creating this home space for this woman. Can we do that in our own lives to create that kind of home space for others as we try to create homes for ourselves We're trying to do that in a couple of different ways at Urban Village. One that we just started, we're beginning to explore a ministry by World Relief called Good Neighbor Teams, where individuals create a a team where they are there for a, a recent refugee family, and they are there to create sometimes literal homes for them to make sure that they have everything they need, but then also continue to check up on them. And I've been so pleased by the number of people at our church who are interested in this and want to be part of this good neighbor team to create homes for these refugees. Is there any way that you can do that where you live? It is important for us, no matter where we are, the message from Jeremiah is to begin to plant roots Stay where you are. And then also, Jeremiah calls us, pray for the welfare of the city. How can you create home for others in your midst? This is our call, friends, to do this in our own lives. Knowing that no matter what, no matter where we are, that God is creating that home space for you and for me too. Amen. Well, friends, thank you for uh, listening. Uh, I'm off another week uh, next week, and so uh, our one of our uh, our church planting uh, fellow who's at our church uh, will be preaching at our own site. I'll be back in two weeks, and we'll be putting up a podcast. And as always, a reminder that you can go to our Urban Village Podbean site uh, to hear from other of our site pastors there. If you want to hear more from me, you can go to my website, christiankuhn.com, and there you can listen to my other podcast that I do, my Feeling Boldly podcast, uh, in addition to my blog, and you can buy my book there and all kinds of things. So um, you can find out more about, you can reach out to me there too. So uh, until the next time that I come to you through this podcast, may the peace of Christ be with you.